Take our Bibles this morning. We're going to continue our series on Designed to Overcome. We're not just designed to give. In fact, as we began the series uh, at the beginning of January, and it was something that God just began putting in my heart. We knew we were going to talk about giving, but God just put in my heart and said, you are called to give because I have designed you to give, because you were created in the image of me. How many are thankful that God is a giver? And he is a good giver. In fact, last week as we looked at Romans 8, and we talked about God's design to make us overcomers, that we are not called to survive. We're called to overcome. Amen? And in Romans 8, 28, is it said that God works good in all things for those that are, are called, for those that love him and are called according to his purpose. And that too many times we take that verse out of context And we want God to work our good. In other words, God, make my life simpler. Make it easier. I want to be more comfortable. (laughs) How many can relate to that? (laughs) Yeah, there are times that uh, bailing water and uh, and the cold, I said, yeah, it'd be nice to be more comfortable. (laughs) But as you begin to read that passage in Romans 8, you begin to understand the verses following that. And we talked about this last week, that God's purpose is that we are conformed to the image of his son, Jesus Christ. And so the good that God is working in us is not our good. It's his good for eternity. Amen? And that's his promise to us that no matter what circumstance and what situation there is, that we know that God is working for our good. It may not be up to our standards as far as making his comfort right now, but we know the promise he said. He's conforming us to the Son, to the image of his Son, Jesus Christ. Amen? And as we continue today, we're going to be in Revelation chapter 12. So take your Bibles, turn to the book of Revelation chapter 12. And let's stand for the reading of God's word this morning. Revelation chapter 12, verses 10 and 11. I've had some people say, Pastor, why do you have a stand? Because we need to understand the importance of God's word, and we need to show respect for God's word. And I like to think of it this way, coming to attention as the commander-in-chief is speaking to us. Amen? Allowing the Spirit of God to speak to us, not just so our ears may hear, that our heart may receive what He has for us. And this is a powerful verse. And this morning we're going to begin to look at keys to overcoming, because we'll see three keys to overcoming in this passage. Revelation chapter 12, verse 10, he says this Then I heard a loud voice in heaven saying, Now have come the salvation and the power and the kingdom of God, and the authority of our Christ. For the accuser of our brothers who accused them before our God day and night has been hurled down. They overcame him by the blood of the Lamb, by the word of their testimony, and they did not love their lives so much as to shrink from death. Father, thank you that you have given us keys to overcoming. And Lord, we thank you that soon and very soon we're going to join with the four and twenty elders and we're going to sing a song of victory, of overcoming. For the victory that that you've declared, Jesus, that that you purchased for us, will be known, will be seen and confirmed. And we thank you for that. But Father, thank you that you've designed us not just to survive, not to struggle and strive, but to overcome in this world. Thank you for that. And so we give you praise and we ask, Lord, that you'd give us ears to hear, God, may our eyes be opened to understand what you have for us this morning. And Father, may we apply it. May we truly, Lord, look forward to walking as overcomers, to recognize what you're doing in us through every situation, at every moment, at every time. Thank you for that. And we give you praise in his precious name. And everyone said, Amen. Amen. You may be seated. I hope that you have a chance, if you didn't, to uh, go online and to listen to that sermon last week, because Romans 8, 28 through the end of the chapter, verse 39, is so powerful as it reminds us, because it kind of becomes that very thing that shows from the beginning that too many times the perception that we have is we want to take God's word and and we want to make it mean something only to what we're doing and going through at the time. And so people that have said, you know, and I've heard people, I had a, I had a guy come uh, recently, in fact, and he was just uh, overwhelmed with the situation. He says, you know, 
I don't know if I can really trust God. You know, it says he's going to work good, but I don't see how it's working for my good. And I had to say, you know what, we need to be careful because too many times we look at that and say, God, this is what I call good. So, Lord, work within this right here. How many of us said God doesn't work that way? And if God did work that way, it would not be for our benefit. <laughs> Amen? Because God sees the end from the beginning. In fact, that very verse talks about that in the next, that God's purpose is to conform us to the image of his son. In fact, he has predestined us to be conformed to the image of his son. That's the work he's doing in us. And so it's like, God, help us that our perception changes. That it's not a perception where we demand that you work our good, but that we understand, God, thank you that you're working good in me. You're changing me. You're conforming me to the image of your son. Why? Because God is perfecting us for eternity, not just for a momentary pleasure, not for a momentary time of comfort, but for eternity. Why? Because he's designed us to overcome. Amen? This is not a survivor show. It's overcoming. And the power of this passage we just read is that very thing we see, that this is the reality that we are walking and coming into. This is a reality that has been set before us that we can see. It's almost like a, a snapshot, if you would, into the future where God says, this is it. Now has come the salvation and the power in the kingdom of God in the authority of Christ. For the accuser of the brethren has been cast down. Hallelujah. How many know that in Jesus Christ that Satan's already been cast down. In fact, Scripture says we've been lifted up in heavenly places and Satan is put under our feet. The problem is we keep letting him up. Why do we do that? We need to tell him, assume the position. A little wet here, I need to walk on you. <laughs> Amen? And that's the reality that we begin to see here, that the accuser of the brethren... Now, I, I want to take a look at that for just a moment because a lot of people say, well, you know, you know, I hate when he accuses me. Look at it this way. When he accuses you, he's called the accuser of the brethren. So if he's accusing you, what is that saying about you? Your brother and sister in the Lord. So no matter what the enemy does... God's working in that to your good because he's confirming that you're a child of God. Can you say amen? amen? And you see, God wants to do that through every situation. And so here it becomes, it's like that that we talked about back in February as we talked about that we're designed to be loved. Jesus introduced and talked about two fathers, the father of lights and the father of lies. And it really comes down to which one are you going to listen to? The father of lies, who here is called the accuser of the brethren, is going to accuse you. He's going to remind you of your past. He's going to try to, to get you in a place and a mindset that you are thinking, you know, I can't make it. I'm going to keep messing up. But God says, no. The blood of Jesus Christ speaks for you. Amen? If you have confessed your sin and you've invited Jesus Christ to come into your life, guess what? The blood of Jesus speaks for you. The sins of your past do not. Because the Father, what does he see when he looks at you? Righteousness. The righteousness of Jesus. Can you say amen? Hallelujah. Praise God that God sees us through the work of Jesus Christ on the cross. But we must confess our sins. We must invite Jesus Christ into our life. It is not an event. It is a beginning of a lifestyle. It is that that he calls us to, that daily we understand that there's a personal relationship, that that is so intimate and so powerful, that God the Father speaks to us and understands and lets us know that he understands what we're going through, and he speaks to us in a way so that we can know it. In fact, God has a language right for us. He says it in a way that we can get it. Because guess what? Our Father gets you. He knows you. He understands what you're going through. Are you going to listen to the Father of lies or the Father of lights? And realize that, you know what? There is going to be a time that the accuser of the brethren, the Father of lies, is going to be cast down. Amen? He's going to be bound in a bottomless pit. Hallelujah. 
We're reminded that Jesus said, in this world you will have tribulation. That's one of those verses in John 16 that uh, people don't want to be reminded of. Jesus said, uh, I've told you that these things, that in me you may have peace. Now we like that. We want to hear that. But then he says, in this world you will have trouble. Not you might. Not you might see it. Jesus said, in this world you will have trouble. Trouble as deci- is really defined as sin. It's the consequences of sin that we see all around. And it's that that we deal with. Now, we aren't called to hide away. We're not called to find some place far away we can kind of retreat and say, you know, we're going to try to keep ourselves unspotted from the world. No. How can we be salt and light if we do that? In fact, Jesus addressed that didn't he, and said, you don't see a light and hide it under a bushel. You don't try to cover that light. You set it up on a hill, in a city where it can be seen. And he described it as salt. And, and today what's happened is it's almost like we've, we've kind of misunderstood what Jesus is talking about. You know what we do now? We build buildings and we kind of store salt in them. I'm not talking about the, the big buildings you see by the highway that they store salt to put in the winter. I'm talking about our churches. We stick salt in there and that's all they do. They just stay there. It's time to get the salt outside, amen? We're just going to do good. It needs to melt the ice. It needs to melt the coldness of people's hearts. It needs to season people. It needs to give them a thirst for more of God. That's what God has called us to do. Oh, that God would help us to get a glimpse of his heart for the lost, that we would understand as light and as salt, we're called to change the atmosphere of the place that we're at. Whether it's your neighborhood, whether it's your workplace, where you're at, recognize that God wants to change that atmosphere with his presence. And guess what? The Spirit of God is in you. Let the presence of God be seen in you. As we look down and we look at this passage, again, one of those that we kind of take out of context. He said, they overcame him. They overcame Satan. And what is it talking about? It's talking about we, that we are overcomers. And how did that happen? How did we overcome? And it said, we overcome by the blood of the Lamb. It's talking about the first key. Overcoming has to do with relationship. We have a relationship with God through Jesus Christ. And so the first key to overcoming is relationship. God didn't say, I'm going to give you a list of do's and don'ts, and if you just kind of apply this formula to your life, you're going to be an overcomer. No, God the Father loved us so much that he said the first key to overcoming is relationship. And guess what? His relationship with me through Jesus Christ. It's a personal relationship. It's that that Jesus afforded us because God loved us so much He put on flesh and came among men. He went to the cross. He bore our sins. He bore all our infirmities. He bore everything, all the struggles. And Jesus died on that cross, providing us a way, not just for redemption, but as word says, for atonement, for healing, for deliverance. Amen? And that's why I love the question that Paul gives us in Romans 8. And he said, if God did not spare his only son, How will he not freely give us all things? It's a question. Do we understand the heart of the Father? Do we recognize that with that relationship, he didn't just stop at giving Jesus Christ so we could come to have a relationship with him. No, he will freely give us all things, everything we need for life and godliness. My friend, the first key to overcoming is relationship. In fact, Romans Chapter 4, verse 13 says, or I'm I'm sorry, 1 John 5 reminds us, For everyone born of God overcomes the world. When it talks about overcoming by relationship, he reminds us and says, Everyone who is born of God overcomes the world. Now look at this. This is the victory that has overcome the world, even our faith. Who is that who overcomes the world? 
Only he who believes that Jesus is the Son of God. But you know that there are patriarchs, there are men and women of God that have a relationship with God before Jesus Christ was revealed. And it tells us in Scripture that each of these, it was evidenced in their life that they were his children. In fact, it's evidenced in Scripture that before Christ, many had a relationship with God through faith. It gives us the example of them. It tells us why. They trusted God. Their faith was not some obscure word that meant an acceptance of a belief. The faith was describing action. It was describing that they trusted God and it translated into action. They made a radical change that as God told them, there was a radical choice of obedience. How many understand that's what God calls our faith to be? Radical obedience to his word. Can you say amen to that? You know, faith today has become a word that we say, oh, I'm a person of faith. What does that mean? You know, we say, oh, we have a lot of people of faith. You know, it's, you want to kind of say, what does that mean? Well, you know, I have, I have a belief. Well, great. We're reminded in James 3 that even the demons believed Jesus. Didn't do them any good. Why? They didn't act upon that. There was no movement there. Faith is an action word, amen? In Romans 4, it says, It was not through the law that Abraham and his offspring received the promise that he would be the heir of the world, but through righteousness that comes what? By, let's say it together, faith. You see, God had a plan, and God told him that plan and said, Abraham, it's time to leave the land. The land that you identify with, the land of Ur. The land that was really going to be his inheritance. What God was saying was, Abraham, I want you to leave what you're depending upon. I want you to leave what you trust in. I want you to leave your earthly inheritance. And I want you to go to a land that you don't know. Abraham's probably thinking, uh, wait a minute now. This is my inheritance. I've been waiting for this. I've been born for this. Why would I do that? But he heard the voice of God. And by faith, he made a radical choice, didn't he? And he left Ur. How many of us really understand that concept of what Abraham did? Recognizing that God was calling to a land that Hebrews reminds us that it's a land that was not a literal place. Yeah, there was a promised land that he was calling him to. But that that he was calling Abraham to is much bigger than a piece of land. It was much bigger than some inheritance. He was calling Abraham to become a man of faith. Later on saying, Abraham, you're going to be the father of many nations. And Abraham just kind of, well, there's a problem with that. My wife is barren, can't have kids. How's that going to work? Are you thankful that nothing, nothing's impossible to God? And it doesn't matter what physical encumbrance is in the way. That when our God says something, we know that he's going to do it. In fact, it should be one of those things we step back and say, this is awesome, God. I could be part of the audience to see how you're going to do this. Because I know you're going to do it because you said it. Amen? And we begin to understand that each of these relationships, each of these men and women, they trusted God. Abraham overcame fear and doubt. The fear that he probably wouldn't have kids. And it says he was 100 years old and, and Sarah was 90. Yeah, there's a hiccups in the way. Yeah, Abraham kind of struggled through that and he decided that he was going to try to make God's promise come to pass his way. You know the story. Sarah says, well, you know, where we live, they look at us servants as being property. And so I'll give you my property, my servant, Hagar. I'll give her to you and you can have children through her. You see, that was looked on in the culture of their time and actually where they were is acceptable. But God said, that's not my plan. Ishmael was born and Ishmael actually became a, a thorn and it became kind of a, 
sore spot, didn't it? We see that now. But God's plan was, no, I'm not going to acquiesce to something that you decide that might be the way it'll work. God said, this is my plan. Sarah will have a son. You read that and you find that uh, the angels came and, and Sarah laughed. She was laughing and the angels said, why'd you laugh? Well, I wasn't laughing. And in the grace and the mercy of God, it tells us that Abraham believed. And I love that passage in Romans 4 because it reminds us, it says, Abraham believed the God that calls those things that are not as though they were. I love that. Amen? Understand, this is the Father that loves you, that calls you to a relationship with him. This is the kind of dad you have in heaven. He's the kind of dad that calls those things that are not as though they were. Why? He created everything we see. He's got all the creation. And so it doesn't matter how impossible the situation is, God can cause everything to come from nothing because he's God. And you can have a relationship with him, relationship with him through Jesus Christ. Isn't that awesome? That is a key to overcoming. They overcame by the blood of the Lamb. And then it said they overcame by the word of their testimony. It brings us to the second key. Overcoming has to do with focus. What do you mean focus? Well, we get distracted many times, don't we? When we testify of what Jesus Christ has done, in fact, we did that. Every time we come and, and we we take communion. We're focusing on what Jesus Christ did for us. In fact, it's an ordinance of the church. It's that that we're called to do. We're reminded again, thank you, Jesus. We overcome by the blood of the Lamb. Jesus, you shed your blood that we might be set free from the power of sin and death. And it's a recognition. And it's care- we need to be careful because too many times what happens is, is you know, we let that thing become you know, some center that we look to almost as an altar that we worship. Purposely, most churches you notice that the very thing that's in the center of their platform is a communion table. The pulpit is off to one side. And they say it's because the center of who we are is that. So much so that they believe that the act of taking communion makes them holy. My friend, that's not scripture. The reason the pulpit is in the center of the stage is because we believe the word of God is the center. Why? It tells us that God so loved us, he gave his only begotten son. It tells us that only by the preaching of the word can people come to Christ. How will they know unless someone tells them? How beautiful are the feet of those who bring good news. You see, it's through the preaching of the word that people hear and know the word of God. That's why we choose to put the pulpit as the center. But what does this do? Not by our action of taking it does that make us holy. No, we're made holy because of the blood of Jesus and the work of the Spirit in us. Our participation is simply a reminder that our trust, Father, is in you. Jesus, our trust is in you. It's that that Paul reminds us, we have this treasure in earth and vessels, that the power is of God and not of us. We're clay pots. Okay, we're cracked pots. But thanks be to God. He reforms and remakes us in what he wants us to be. Amen? In Hebrews chapter 12, reminded let us fix our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, scorning its shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. And then it says, consider him who endured such opposition from sinful men, so that you will not grow weary and lose heart, because in your struggle against sin you have not resisted yet to the point of shedding blood. It's a reminder that a key to overcoming is focus. Fix your eyes on Jesus. Yeah, you've had hard times. Yes, you've struggled against sin. 
not yet to the pointing of shedding blood. There is one that did that for you, and that's Jesus Christ. He was perfect without sin, yet he became sin for you, that you might become a child of God. And so while the first key is relationship with Jesus, the second key is just as important. You overcome by the blood of the Lamb, by the word of the testimony. Keep your eyes fixed on Jesus. In this world, Jesus said and reminded you, yes, there's going to be trouble. Yes, there's going to be tribulation. But he said, be of good cheer. I have overcome the world. So if we fix our eyes on Jesus, guess what? We're going to be okay. We're in good hands. That's why in Matthew, in fact, we're talked and we're told, Jesus told us, he said, take my yoke upon you, for my yoke is easy, my burden is light. And so imagine if you would, and I wish I had this picture, I snapped this picture in India and it was awesome. Right downtown in Hyderabad, I mean major city, Hyderabad, India, here's this ox cart, two big oxen, with the old cart, the big old wooden wheels. There's guys sitting on this ox cart, and he says, cell phone. <laughs> it's, it's like, what's wrong with this picture? And in the middle of that, and I, again, it's, I couldn't see it until it blew up the picture in the computer and kind of, kind of fuzzy. In the middle of that yoke, there was hanging this figurine. And it was probably an idol he had there or whatever, but... It was like Jesus said, you see that? You're hanging on the yoke there. I'm bearing the load. Your feet aren't touching the ground because I'm carrying the load. You see, when you fix your eyes on Jesus, your perspective changes. You begin to realize, Jesus, you've got this. Any trouble, any circumstance, Jesus, you already know what I'm going through. You already have a plan, not just to get me through it, but that I will overcome. Why? He overcame. Amen? And if he overcame and I'm in him, I can't help but overcome. Amen? You overcome by the word of your testimony, by declaring, my eyes are fixed on Jesus. Yeah, I may stub my toe. I may come into hard times, but it doesn't matter because my eyes are fixed on Jesus. I know whom I have believed in. I'm persuaded that he is able to keep that that I've committed to him against that day. Amen? He's going to carry me through. Revelation tells us and reminds us we need to stay focused. Each of these men were challenged. They were challenged in what was happening in their life. David, here's a man that failed miserably. He was king, made king instead of Saul. David struggled. He fell into adultery because instead of being at war, commanding his troops as he was designed to do, as, as he was called to do, he decided just to kind of sit back and wait to hear what was happening. He happened to see Bathsheba, and he made a decision that altered his life. He called her to come. And he committed adultery with her. And then to try to cover it up, he called her husband back from the war. And when her husband had more integrity than he did by not going to sleep with his wife, and even after he said, oh, go and enjoy your wife, and he said, how can I do that when my fellow soldiers are having hardship? And what did David do? He sent instructions and sent Uriah to the front line to be killed. He said, Joab... Set him up and then retreat. Everybody else retreat. David wanted to make sure that he lost his life. Then David swept in. You see, it all looked really good. Just kind of like happens in our media. We kind of spin the story. David spun the story. And as such a good king, he just took this grieving widow to be his wife. But God... But God in his grace and his mercy said, that's not how a king of Israel is to act. He sends the prophet Nathan. Some of you know that story. Nathan comes and David has the authority to tell Nathan, you know what? Off with his head, he's a false prophet. Nathan comes and gives a story and says, David, we have an issue. 
We have these families here in this family. This one family has all kinds of wealth. They want for nothing. The family next door, they're very poor. They have a little lamb that is actually the pet that eats with them and stays with the kids. The man with all the wealth took his neighbor's lamb and, and killed it to feed some guests. David is outraged. That man will pay for his life and pay ten times over. And Nathan said, you are the man. God in his grace uses Nathan with a simple story that got to the very heart of the matter. David's choice could have come and said, I don't know what you're talking about. Who do you think you are? I'm the king. But David put on sackcloth. He repented before God. You read it in Psalm 51, a credible psalm of repentance, where David begins to get a picture of what God requires. Not burnt offering and sacrifice. A broken and contrite heart. And David, in his failure now becomes, as he repents before God, David becomes a man after God's own heart. People struggle with that. People in that time struggle with that. His own family rebelled against him. David, this great king, finds himself fleeing, and, and Shimei begins kicking dirt and saying, oh, get out of here, yeah, flee, get out of here, you, you dog. David could have had any one of his soldiers say, kill him. But David said, you know what? He's describing the situation. Leave him alone. David repented, and he allowed God to begin to work in his life. And later on, we see it in the book of Acts that God calls David a man after his own heart that desires to do his will. Moses Here's a guy that's a murderer. He kills an Egyptian and hides him in the sand and flees. He stutters and God says, Moses, I'm calling you to lead my people out of captivity. And Moses stuttered. He said, I can't do this. Let my brother do it. And he said, fine, I'll let Aaron go with you, but you are the one. And here Moses, intimidated, fearful guy that stutters, God says, Moses is my friend. I speak to most men through dreams. Moses, I speak to him face to face. Wow. These are people of God that all had pasts. Pasts that they wanted to cover up. Pasts they wanted to just kind of put behind. and Pasts they wanted people to ignore. But God saw something better in them. Because he had a design for their life. The difference was they had to make a decision. First of all, they had to trust God. They had to put action to their faith. Secondly, they had to fix their eyes upon what God told them to do. We can fix our eyes on Jesus because of what Jesus did for us on the cross. They had to depend upon their obedience to what God told them. And it wasn't easy. It wasn't a simple task. In many situations, it was the very opposite of that that would gain them popularity of the time. But these understood and recognized, I need to fix my eyes on what God has told me to. Moses was challenged by his brother and sister. Dealt with thousands and thousands of murmuring people. And yet he humbled himself and said, I haven't put myself in this place God has. And God confirmed that, didn't he? Peter gives us the practical things in order to, to help us keep our eyes on Jesus. Aren't you thankful for that? Sometimes we need that practical thing to get us back grounded. <laughs> to say, Lord, help me to keep my eyes on you. And notice it's very similar to what we see happen with David Happened with Moses, happened with Abraham. Listen to this, First Peter 5. Humble yourself, therefore, under God's mighty hand, that he may lift you up in due time. 
cast all your anxiety on him because he cares for you. Isn't that very powerful, practical advice? It helps us fix our eyes on Jesus. It's the very advice, that the very thing that all these men of God, that if you look at their failures, if you point at their past and say, I choose to see you that way, but God said, no, I don't see you in your failure. I see you in your trust. I see you in a righteousness by faith. Moses, a friend of God. David, a man after his own heart. Abraham, the father of many nations, who by earthly standards would point at the failures. And if they would run for presidential office, can you imagine what the media would do to them? <laughs> Woo! Wow. They would crucify them, man. These guys are jokes. Are you kidding me? Aren't you thankful God doesn't worry about what the media says? Aren't you thankful God's not worried about the press about you? The only press you need to be listening to is what God is saying about you. And so humble yourself, therefore, under God's mighty hand, that he may lift you up in due time. Cast all your anxiety on him. Why? He cares for you. Finally, Revelation gives us another key to overcoming. And it says, They overcame by the blood of the Lamb, by the word of their testimony. And they did not love their lives so much as to shrink from death. Overcoming has to do with their attitude. The attitude of these that it talked about. The attitude of Abraham. The attitude of Moses, of David. We see it that their attitude wasn't, you know what, I'm so concerned about right here and now. I've got to hang into what I have because that's all I know. No, their attitude was, God, you've got it. What you're calling me to do, not a problem. Even to the point where God says, Abraham, I want you to take your son Isaac, your only son. Offer him on that altar to me. Abraham willingly bound his son. His son, Dad, what's going on? Son, we're going to worship God. He binds him, he has a knife, and about to plunge a knife, and God stops him and says, stop. Now I know that you are not even willing to withhold your, even your own son. And he said, turn and look. And he saw a ram in a thicket. And Abraham says, Jehovah Jireh, my God who provides it gives us a clue in Hebrews 11. It tells us that Abraham recognized the God that he served, that God was able to raise up Isaac again from the dead if need be. And it shows us that Abraham's attitude was, God, whatever you call me to do is not a big deal because you can do whatever you need to do. The point is this, what is our attitude? Hebrews 11, verse 13 and 14 says, All these people were still living by faith when they died. They didn't receive the things they promised. They only saw them and welcomed them from a distance. They admitted they were aliens and strangers on earth. People who say such things show that they're looking for a country of their own. Are you looking for a country of your own? Is your attitude set that you recognize right here and now really doesn't matter? I'm not going to strive to gain acceptance or popularity in this place right here, right now, because I'm just passing through here. My citizenship is in heaven. Consider yourself an alien and a stranger here. The reason you struggle is just the same thing Jesus said. You're going to struggle because as they hated me, they're going to hate you. They don't understand you. They don't understand those concepts. They're foreign to them because all they want is pleasure for the immediate. Jesus said that. Key to overcoming? What's your attitude? Is your attitude God? Thank you. You're preparing your place for me. It's the very thing that Jesus said in John 14. I go to prepare a place for you. And I'll come again and receive you to myself, that where I am, there you may be also. 
Several weeks ago, we uh, told you about Jerry Seuss, who they'd removed a tumor. They diagnosed it as a very fast-growing cancer. And uh, I'm going to ask Jerry and Deb if they would come right now and uh, just kind of share with us the journey and what God is doing. Bless you, man. So, uh, what's been happening since that uh, time when the doctor uh, said this is a very fast-growing cancer? So, they went back in for a second surgery and went around the margins to see if it had progressed around the ad area. And they removed that tissue and came back that it, there, the cancer hadn't spread to that area. And oh, so, yeah. now... Now I'm going under chemical treatments. I had my first one Tuesday. So it's, it's like a chemotherapy, but it's not chemotherapy. Some of you uh, know Deb, his wife, and just kind of the, um, what Deb has gone through in her past. And uh, Deb, your first husband was a pastor. His name was Keith. Uh, what happened with Keith? Keith had a um, sinus tumor, um, started out his nosebleeds, and um, just kind of continued to get worse. So he was diagnosed with a very aggressive cancer, which from start to finish was like six months. So um, passed away, and we continued to stay in Wisconsin where we lived. We lived in a parsonage next to the church, and the church allowed us to stay there um, paid us a wage, um, took care of us, and was good to us. And God has been good to us. You can imagine when you get news like that, and uh, our prayers were for Deb as well as Jerry. And uh, Deb, I just want to ask you, what, uh, how have you been seeing how God has just helped you, even through the news that uh, Jerry had this fast-growing cancer? <laughs> I warned Jerry I might say this because I said, don't take me wrong, but I'm sitting there thinking, okay, God, here we go again. <laughs> you know, but um, knowing with Keith, no, it didn't turn out the way we had hoped. But um, God is good. And I know he's in heaven. And I know that that's where we'll be and we'll be together but I look at Jerry and I think it's one day at a time well, let's not look at the negative part of it Amen. let's stay focused on the positive and you know we just pray for God's healing and and I pray that um, that to bind Satan from him you know and that um, just fill him with his love and in his healing and to touch, I guess I look too, is to touch those doctors and the nurses and, and those that come into contact with him that also, that we can witness to them. Yeah. I've been uh, just blessed to uh, see um, Jerry and Deb just take these steps to this um, and spent uh, a day that I thought was going to be just a couple hours, <laughs> ended up being a long day. Um, and got to know his brothers. And, uh, you know, can you see how God has even used this to work good? Oh, absolutely. First of all, I praise God. I praise God. Thank you, Jesus. For It's sort of like the one thing Satan wants to do is he wants to have instill fear. And I have no fear. <laughs> all I got is faith. God is going to use this for good. Hallelujah. God is going to use this for good. When we had the wild game feast, I invited my brothers and my nephews and, and their wives, and everybody came. And they know where I stand. And people know where you stand as a Christian. And I like to look at this place as a hospital. And I come here because, you know what? I'm sick. I'm sick. Spiritually sick. I struggle. I come here. We have the great physician up there but we got the workers here to help us. People don't come into the church because they want to become good enough. 
And you're good enough. Christ paid the price. You just show up and you get set free. Amen. You get set free. All the things that are binding you up. You may have unforgiveness in your heart. That's binding you up. Christ forgave us. And he said on the cross, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. And so you've had people who have injured your heart and it's binding you up. And I invite you to come back and keep coming back to the hospital to get healed, Amen. to get healed. Romans 8.38 says, nothing can separate me or you from the love of God. Nothing, nothing. Amen. And in 1 Peter 4.12, do you think it's weird that you have a fiery trial? Hey, we're on this earth. We're going to have trials. We're going to have tribulations. So, you know, uh, this may sound funny, but when the doctor said, gave me the prognosis that this is a high-grade cancer, I said, oh, my mom and dad always wanted me to get high grades. <laughs> <laughs> but I don't think it was this kind of high grades. <laughs> but, but I'm so thankful for the Lord. One thing that came to my heart was Christ sort of said to me, are you willing to die for me? In other words, are you willing to go through this for me so that people would find Christ? And you know what? We're supposed to die for Christ. And if I die from this, I'm in a better place. And, and I've shared with a number of you that people ask me at work and stuff, you know, how are you doing today? I'm living the dream, but it's going to get better. <laughs> I had our HR director say, how's it going to get better? Oh, when I die, I'm going to heaven. Uh, she says, I'm still working on it. <laughs> but this is a good thing. When you, when you hear the word cancer, I, you know, when they said there's a tumor, they removed it, I went, oh, it's going to be benign. And then when it came back that it was cancer and that it was a high-grade cancer, it's like, oh, it's high-grade cancer. But I'm confident in my God. He loves me. And like I said, in Romans 8:38, nothing can separate me from his love. And again, I encourage you, don't be deceived by Satan because Satan says you have to be good enough to come to church. You have to be good enough to receive me. And he receives you just where you're at. And he'll set you free. He'll set you free. I, I don't know if you noticed, but I'm free. <laughs> I'm not bound by fear or with cancer. Amen. You know, I'm free. And I thank God for that. I'm going to ask them to remember if I ever and other uh, deacons if you'd come. If you're maybe uh, struggling with just situations, you want prayer this morning, we invite you to come. Jerry once uh, said something. He said, you know, Pastor, he said, I've known a lot of people that uh, God has healed, but they eventually died because their home isn't here. It's in heaven. It hit me. I said, wow. <laughs> Keys to overcoming. Our attitude, recognizing, yeah, I wasn't meant to live forever in my situation right here, right now. I have a home in heaven. I have a room that Jesus is preparing for me. He's preparing one for you too. Amen? So if that's you, that you're going through struggles, maybe there's news that you've gotten, you say, you know, I just, I need help. I need someone to stand with me. Would you come this morning? We want to stand with you. God loves you so much. And he has called you and designed you to overcome. Not to survive, but to overcome. Would you step out and come and say, Father, thank you. I'm going to put my trust in you. Because you have designed me to overcome. They overcame by the blood of the Lamb. By the word of their testimony. They did not love their lives so much to shrink from death. They said, God, we're yours. Amen. We're yours. Just thank him for that. Thank you, Jesus. That we're yours. That we belong to you. Thank you for that. Thank you for that. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Let's stand together. Just stretch your hands out towards these. Just begin to pray right now in Jesus' name. Hallelujah. 
Father, thank you that we are more than overcomers through Jesus Christ. Hallelujah. Your promise is that nothing can separate us from your love. We give you praise for that. And we just come in agreement with your word for us. And Father, we thank you that you call us to look to you, the author and the finisher of our faith. That Lord, you will complete that that you have begun in us. You've told us not to get discouraged, not to become weary, but to look to you because Jesus, you bore all our sins, all our sorrows, all our iniquities. And you took care of them. Thank you for that. And so we just say yes to you. (laughs) Thank you, Father. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. If there's someone this morning that you don't know for certain if you're a child of God, you're struggling with that, you say, Pastor, I want to know for certain that I'm his child. I want to know that I have a relationship with Jesus Christ. If that's you, would you just step out and just come down? We want to pray with you. God loves you so much. His word declares, he who is the son has life. Who does not have the son does not have life. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Would you let this word just sink into your heart this morning? Would you receive this word of gladness and understand that there are keys that he's given you to overcome? Why is his design for you? Stop looking at just trying to survive and recognize he's called you to overcome. And he's given us keys to do that. Amen? Amen? Hallelujah. Give him glory for that. Receive his word with gladness. Let it not be some sort of concept that you just say, I believe that. Put it into action in your life. Let it begin to change your direction so that your life begin to change the very atmosphere of the places you're at. Work, school, home, neighborhood. Aren't you thankful they're God? Our God is in control. Amen? Hallelujah. God bless you. If you want prayer, come. If not, God bless you. Take his word. Walk in it.